The following presentation is a Barrett Sports Media production. He's connected. Jason Barrett says, I'd like to see you here. The answer is when, where, what do you need? Respected. He's got a long and distinguished career in the sports radio business. Truly one of the titans of our industry. And unequivocally invested. This is the place to be if you're in the sports business. He is Jason Barrett. And this is the Jason Barrett Podcast. Now bringing you in-depth conversations with the best and brightest in sports media. And shedding light on the industry's biggest opportunities and challenges. Here's the the president of Barrett Media, Jason Barrett. Welcome once again to the Jason Barrett Podcast with yours truly, Jason Barrett. Had an opportunity to head to Columbus, Ohio this past weekend for the Ohio State game against Arkansas State. Special thanks to Todd Markowitz and the folks at 97.1 The Fan of Columbus for their local hospitality. If you haven't experienced an Ohio State game in Columbus, put it on your to-do list. The stadium is great. The talent on the field is obviously top-notch. But the pregame situation, absolutely legit. It seemed like the entire city shut down for the game. And this was Arkansas State. I can only imagine what it's like when Michigan or Penn State roll into town. Next up on the fall tour, LSU. Can't wait to experience college football Saturday in Baton Rouge. I'll have a report on that next episode. On today's show, 97.5 The Fanatic Morning Man, John Kincaid is my guest. I've known John for over 15 years, had the pleasure of working with him in 2004-2005 during our ESPN radio days. He's not only a fantastic talent, but he's someone who understands and appreciates the industry We got into a lot of different subjects during our chat. Check it out in just a few minutes. Before I move into some content, we just announced the first six speakers for the 2023 BSM Summit. The conference is returning to Los Angeles March 21st and 22nd at the Founders Club at the Galen Center at USC. If you didn't see the details on the BSM website, we've confirmed Colin Cowherd, Jim Rome, Joy Taylor, Don Martin, Sam Pines, and Amanda Brown will all be part of our 2023 event. I'm really excited to have all of them involved in the show. Tickets to the summit and hotel accommodations can be secured online at bsmsummit.com. All right, but it's time now for what I've seen or heard, and let me just warn you in advance. If you're a fan of Greg Gumbel or someone who doesn't think much of the sports talk radio format, you're probably not going to like what I have to say. Attention! Attention! Have I got your attention now? There's an old quote from Abraham Lincoln which says, It's better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. It's great advice that some in our business would be wise to make use of. One who could have used it recently is sports broadcaster Greg Gumbel. You learn a lot about the intelligence or lack thereof that people possess when they comment on industry issues and situations. And last week, I learned that Gumbel was absent on the day brains were given out because his comments on the sports radio business were moronic and out of touch. In a podcast interview with George Offman, the failed New York sports talk show host turned national announcer shared a few thoughts that drew the ire of sports radio professionals. Take a listen 
to his explanation on why he's not a fan of sports talk radio. I am not a big fan of sports talk radio because people who listen to sports talk radio strike me as being anxious to be told what to think. And I don't need someone yelling at me. I certainly don't need him yelling at me, but I don't need anyone trying to tell me what I should think about this pitcher for the California Angels, whom I can watch and for myself and make my own judgments. I know what you're thinking. They're the Los Angeles Angels and have been since 2016. Prior to that, they were the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim from 2005 to 2015. They were called the Anaheim Angels between 1997 and 2004, which means Greg is referring to a team by name that they haven't held since 1996, 26 years ago. But let's give him a pass. He misspoke. I may not agree with his opinion, but he's, of course, entitled to it. So let's dissect more of what he had to say. I want you to take a listen now to his comments on when he learned to hate sports radio and the reasons why. When you were in New York, you actually worked for WFAN. You did Morning Drive. I did. That's when I learned to hate it. (laughs) I was WFAN's first ever morning man. When they first began the station, they asked me if I I wanted to do the morning radio. And I said, sure, because number one, I had mornings off. It was something new and different, and I thought I would try it. And about three or four months into a three-year contract, I knew it wasn't for me because I'm not a guy who wants to sit there and argue. And yet, that's what the listening audience was. Hey, Greg, how about the Yankees trade Don Mattingly to the Mets for Daryl Strawberry? What are you supposed to do with that? Number one, I'm not the decision maker. Number two, nothing that you or I say is going to influence that. And to me, that's useless. People would call and they'd argue. What I tried to do was get people who know the sport and would, would, would sit and talk with me and, and talk about what that team was doing. But in general, I didn't like it. I did not enjoy it. And I knew that I wasn't going to continue it or wasn't going to go back to it. As someone who listened to WFAN as a teenager when it first came on the scene and was super excited to have a sports radio station broadcasting in my hometown, Gumble is being kind when he said he realized it wasn't for him three to four months in. The audience knew three days after hearing him that he was a fish out of water. He was a bad fit, never embraced the opportunity, thought he was above it, and it's no coincidence that the fan took off after Greg and a few others were replaced. New York sports fans did not want to hear an interview show or a guy without passion first thing in the morning. But if he had a bad experience doing sports talk in the Big Apple, I can see why he hated the format and chose to move away from it. I have no issue if that early partnership with the fan left a sour taste in his mouth and he realized that doing sports on TV was a better fit. Good for him. But now take a listen to this and pay really close attention to what he says at the end about how much time he spent consuming sports talk radio. If you're just tuning in to hear people argue and scream and shout, that's fine. Good luck to you. Good luck in your early grave. Because I think (laughs) it's the most ridiculous thing on the planet. I have not heard more than in my lifetime, more than an hour's worth of sports talk radio. And most of it that I heard is basically the lead in or the lead out from an interview that I might have done on occasion. To make sure you caught that, 
He just said, and I quote, I have not heard in my lifetime more than an hour's worth of sports talk radio. And most of it that I've heard is the lead in or lead out from an interview that I might have done on the radio station. Sports radio is a big part of my life. It has been for a quarter century. I take pride being involved in this format and working with a lot of smart, talented people all across the country. And speaking from experience, the sports radio you hear in New York is different from what's delivered in the Midwest, the South, and on the West Coast. What Greg said was a slap in the face to everyone and anyone who works in this format or consumes this type of content. In a nutshell, Greg Gumbel, an announcer who was given the opportunity of a lifetime and bombed miserably as a sports radio host in the nation's number one market, but found the right fit for himself on television, just trashed the format with more than 600 stations representing it, despite not having listened to more than an hour of it during the course of his lifetime. His negative experiences took place more than 35 years ago, and although he thinks the content is all screaming and yelling, and those listening are unemployed idiots with low IQs, he still has made time to go on these stations for interviews to promote himself or projects he's been involved in. And during those conversations, he's judged the entirety of the format's existence based on what he heard either prior to or at the conclusion of having a conversation with a host. I rarely call out people by name in the industry because I realize people make mistakes, and when you speak for hours upon hours on the air, occasionally you're going to say dumb things. But Greg Gumbel just proved Steve Summers right when he once declared Bryant Gumbel the intelligent one in the family. If you haven't listened to something for more than an hour in your lifetime, haven't worked in the format in over 35 years, and are 22 years removed from being in the demo, how can you label and trash the entire current sports radio format and expect anyone to take seriously anything you have to say? If Greg doesn't like WFAN or New York Sports Radio because he had a bad experience, that's fine. But don't give a black eye to the entire industry hundreds of stations, and thousands of talent and producers across the country who bust their ass each day to entertain and inform listeners. Nor should you be insulting the intelligence of those listeners because many of them put on your television broadcasts. More importantly, the income level for sports radio listeners is much higher than Greg thinks. All you have to do is a little bit of research and you'd find that the majority are college-educated and earning more than $75,000 per year. But Greg wouldn't know that, of course, because he hasn't paid attention since WFAN operated on 10.50 a.m. Major League Baseball featured the California Angels. Atari was the dominant gaming platform. The Commodore 64 served as a functional computer, and Ronald Reagan ran the country. Look, I'm fine with people being critical and explaining why they're not on board with certain things. But know your subject matter and give people actual insight and an explanation that is supported by fact. If you do that, they'll consider your point of view. But in this case, to modify a line from Billy Madison, Mr. Gumbel, what you've said about sports talk radio 
is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone who has listened to it is now dumber for having done so. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Well done, sir. I know that was a little harsher of a take than usual, but as someone who works across the sports talk format and respects it greatly, I can't stand when people take shots at the business, especially when they're not even involved in it or listening to it. But that being said, if you have something you want to add about my comments, you can always email me, jbarrett at sportsradiopd.com, or you can find me across the socials. But now it's time for our special guest, and I'm thrilled to have John Kincaid on the program, someone, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, I've known for 16, 17 years. John is an exceptional talent. He's done quite well for himself in both Philadelphia and Atlanta. He's got a tall order going head-to-head each day against one of the format's greats, Angelo Cataldi, who's on WIP. But despite facing tough competition and being a longtime friend of Cataldi, his own program, The John Kincaid Show, has enjoyed success. It's been ranked as high as third in morning drive in Philadelphia with men 25-54. We talked a lot about his show, the Philadelphia sports radio scene, as well as the misconception of Philly sports fans, and of course, Greg Gumbel's thoughts on the format. So without further ado, here's my conversation with John Kincaid. Yo, listen! I got to start off with asking you about something I just ranted on on the podcast about, and it's the recent comments of Greg Gumbel, which I know Dimitri from my site wrote and said you should be embarrassed if you even paid attention to him. I'm going to ignore everything he just said right now because anything Greg Gumbel says that applies to sports radio, I've got to spend some time on. Just your general reaction when you hear Greg Gumbel crapping on a format that he hasn't been active in in 35 years. Well, it's nice to, first of all, do get to see you. I'm usually just seeing you in and out of college stadiums right now, airports and things like that. And I can tell you after living in the South, as long as I did, I know how great those college football atmospheres are. So it's amazing. Um, I would tell you that I ignored Dimitri. I did not respond this morning. And I usually, I read all his stuff and he knows that, but uh, Greg Gumbel, honestly, uh, the one thing I don't do is it would be like me saying to people, I hate Indian restaurants. Indian restaurants are terrible. And then someone says to me, well, when was the last time you went to an Indian restaurant? And I said, 25, 30 years ago. <laughs> it's, it's, it is the most asinine critique I've ever heard. It's not valid. And more importantly, Greg Gumbel's talking about a format that honestly he wasn't good at uh, because yep. he's very, he has that play-by-play man syndrome, which is don't offend anybody. One of the things you've got to do to be successful in sports talk radio or any other talk radio type format, you can't worry about offending people or that somebody's going to say to you, I didn't like what you had to say. Hell, your career is going to be made on saying things that people don't like you saying. And it's just a matter of you being able to articulate your thoughts, back up your thoughts with some sort of a, a credence and a credibility, and then standing by your guns and not being intimidated when somebody decides to call you out. You know, what's uh, one thing that's really hard to defend, I'm not going to 
stick with Greg Gumbel because I think you just encapsulated it perfectly. But it's literally trying to defend Chris Collinsworth being on television on Sunday Night Football for three hours while his voice is shot. And I'm sitting there as I'm watching it. I'm going, man, I feel for Tariko. Like, here we are. The You know, Al's not here. First impression, regular season. And Chris sounds like his voice is dead. And you just hope he's going to be good for the next one. What do you do, John, if you're working on a show for three, four hours and your partner next to you literally can't speak and nobody is coming in to pull the hook? I send them home. I literally would. I mean, you can't have something that, that grates on an audience like that. You can have something that grates on an audience like maybe my football predictions or something like that. <laughs> but you can't have it be a voice. A voice in our medium is so important. And one of the things you need is that Sometimes you just got to take the L and go, I can't go today. And it's a very difficult thing for me or anyone else in our industry to do to accept the fact that some days we're not at our best and some days we would be better served by letting like the members of your team carry extra, little extra weight. Mike Tarico, you know, they could have found some way to be able to do that broadcast. And if Mike Tarico had to do it by himself, Right. I guarantee you. I well, they had Rodney Harrison and Chris Sims in the stadium. I was They're shocked at I mean, Rodney Harrison, I would have absolutely loved to have heard that opportunity to, to see that. And uh, Chris Sims, too, more than competent. To me, you just got to sometimes take yourself away from a microphone. If you're sick or if your voice isn't feeling its best, you got to step away. Chris Collinsworth's career at NBC isn't going to be defined by last night's game. Correct. And, you know, I brought it up because – I saw you after the game on Twitter. You tweeted out about the uh, the video of Cowboy fans going off on Dak, and you made a great point about if this were in Philadelphia, we'd be getting right. destroyed today, right? And we saw J.J. Redick a few weeks ago talking about the Philadelphia sports fan and how delusional they are. I'm just curious, as someone who hears them every day, sees them, obviously there is a big misconception outside of Philadelphia about what the Philadelphia sports fan is. How do you well, define it to people? What I would define it is, is that there's an, you know, the SEC ad campaign where they say it just means more. The yeah. SEC. And, and it's the truth. NFL football in Philadelphia, it just means more. When I go to other cities and I lived in another city for almost a quarter of a century and saw it in Atlanta, college sports means a lot there, but you have a high, you have a, Georgia fans, Alabama fans, Georgia Tech fans, Clemson fans, all living in one community. Here, the entire community is Eagles. You get 10% off your bill at my local supermarket if you wear Eagles gear to shop on Sunday morning. You go in, <laughs> you go in there on Sunday morning. My mom died two years ago, 91 years old. Betty, big sports fan of Philadelphia. My mom would get out of church, come home, put on her Eagles shirt or her Philly shirt. And she wore them every single Sunday. It was just part of her thing. It, it, it means a little more. It's generational here. And there is a definite passion. But I can tell you this. I lived in a town in Atlanta, which had to have a playoff game shut down for 30 minutes while the fans pelted the field with beer bottles, with the, with the, with like the plastic beer bottles. But they had to get Chipper Jones on the microphone back in the day against the Cardinals in the in the infield fly rule game because the fans pelted the field for a half hour. If that had happened in Philadelphia, they would still be talking about it at every single turn. If if the starting quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles was getting pelted with garbage, I mean, come on, it, it is there is a lazy mantra 
in media. They, they pick certain cities, certain storylines. Here's the good thing is, you see all this beautiful sort of gray, salty hair here. I will tell you is that the Santa Claus story happened when I was three years old. I wasn't even three. And that story gets told about mm -hmm. snowballs at Santa Claus. I wasn't even three. And this is my hair. That's all you need to know. Yep. Lazy narratives that are continued to be perpetuated. It's fair. I mean, there is definitely a double standard when it comes to talk about some of the Northeast teams, especially Philadelphia on a national sure. level. Let, let's talk about the local level. Obviously, you're at 97.5, the Fanatic. Uh, right. You got back there a few years ago. You know, I know you used to show up on IP and you and Angelo Cataldi had a lifelong friendship that has yes. happened since you got in the business. What was that conversation like for people who haven't heard the story when you're because, look, I know. Angelo didn't exactly uh, give a loving embrace when others went to compete against him. How was he? How were you able to keep your friendship at least somewhat intact, given that, you know, this is a guy that has built his uh, brand in morning drive, and here's a good friend of his coming home to compete against him? Well, here's the one thing is, is first off, is that we've been able to keep our friendship intact. One of the things is we've done is we've created distance that, and pretty much Ange and I agreed when I would start to compete with him that from that point on, we would keep our relationship not public and we would keep a little distance just because his plan was to beat my backside and my plans to beat his. Uh, so that was part of it right off the bat. But the mutual respect and the admiration is still there both ways. And it's one of the things that, Jace, when I talked about it, uh, when, I, when I was coming into town, from the day I got chicken Caesar in Atlanta, uh, Angelo Cataldi was one of the people in the industry who was most supportive, most advisory to me. And one of the things he told me to do was turn off my phone and chill out. He goes, you're going to have a lot of people wanting you. So just chill out, relax, regroup. So when you do start to talk again, you're not talking, um, you know, out of anger or you're not talking out of a, a sense of urgency that you're under control. He helped me through the whole process. And when the opportunity came and and honestly, the opportunity was potentially coming in the market to return to one of the two Philly stations. Uh, he encouraged me to take this opportunity. And he said, point blank, I, I kept him in the loop the whole way. I didn't ambush him. I didn't keep him in the dark. Yep. And when the opportunity came to compete against him, he said, go for it. You do. You take your best shot. You do you. You're going to be successful here in this market. And someday. Maybe I'll listen to you in Morning Drive when I finally retire. And at some point, it's going to happen. And uh, I'm sure him and his bride are going to have a, a wonderful life. He's going to be a grandfather. And all I know is I wouldn't want to be there the first Monday when he can't turn on a microphone because the guy's a legend. The guy's a natural. And I think he will miss it. I'm sure he's going he's gonna to need some outlet. Yep. And I don't know what that will be. But I, for one... We'll be very happy to send Angelo Cataldi <laughs> off to retirement because he is, he is, I can't, I can't speak anymore to what he's meant to me personally and professionally. He's been a class act to me every step of the way. And I admire him greatly. That said, it's been my intention to try to do everything I can to create a product that counter programs him and tries to beat him. He understood that with me going in. We understand it now. And him and I both have a, a ton of mutual respect, and there's a lot of love still there. Well, let me ask you, like in one word or sentence, 
The thought of Philadelphia sports radio without Angela Cataldi is blank. What, what do you put in there? Well, I'm going to be selfish and say beautiful. No, <laughs> uh, no what, I'm gonna, what, I, what I'll say to you is, is that I would say the word is opportunity because that's a giant void to fill. There was a time when Howard Eskin stepped away. And Howard Eskin was a guy who I grew up listening to, legendary. Angelo, I interned for Angelo and then contributed as, as a contributor on his show. When Angelo Cataldi leaves, there is a power vacuum in town of voices, of credibility, of, and look, Angelo's not everybody's cup of tea, but damn, if everybody doesn't at least know what he's talking about yep. and, what, and what he's about, and bravo to him for doing that. That is what the challenge will be to every single one of us in the market. And look, I tried to create a very different product than his. Uh, our show's very different. We cater to a, a, a totally different vibe, totally different energy. And look, it's something where everybody in the market's going to have to try to come up with what they believe works, what their formula works. Some of us are going to be successful in grabbing that audience share that'll be available. And some of us won't be. And we'll find out what happens. You mentioned how you try to cater to it, you know, and produce a different vibe. Obviously, if he's got a hardcore base and he's been one of the most successful talents in that market forever, um, that that audience is used to a certain vibe. So do you make any adjustments when he's not there to, hey, you know what, if the Angelo fan likes 10 percent of this, we got to give them some more of that. Or do you stick to what you do and say, hopefully they find enough of what we do here to like? Well, when Ange having Wednesdays off, we um, we were going to, you know, it was like, should we do something different on Wednesdays? I said, no, we should be doing the same show Wednesday that we do Monday through Friday. We should not be counter programming that. But what we would should we make sure that we're doing is that if someone does, if one of Angelo's loyal listeners decides to give us 20 percent of his weekly time, 25 percent of his weekly time, maybe we can grow that to be 30 or 40. Right. And when right. he leaves and, and when he leaves. Maybe we can grab him by the lapels. One of the, one of the goals I had going in, Jason, it seems to have worked well, is we've targeted the younger listeners. We've targeted the listeners who are more interested to a bar stool, uh, a podcast format, uh, quick moving. We don't do the cliched Philadelphia sports radio. Let's have a five-minute monologue. Then we'll toss out our poll question. Then we toss out the phone number, and we're going to take calls on it for three hours. We do not do that. We have we consistently are changing gears. I have a great team around me that uh, so we constantly am ta uh, I'm distributing the ball and making sure that everybody has an opportunity to be a part of the conversation. And that's the that's really what we've tried to build is that creative atmosphere where it's on our show where something always is happening. Something's always different and it's much faster. It's faster. And also calls. We we probably take 10% to 15% of the normal calls that are taken in a Philadelphia sports radio program. Hopefully you're not passing that ball a little too much because you've got plenty of uh, shots in you. <laughs> so, oh, I do. I do. I was say, but you can't be distributed all the time. I don't need uh, Steve Nash here. I need you being some Iverson every now and then. Well, what's good though is, is that I've got a bunch of guys in the room that I opened up the opportunity. I said, look, um, feel free from the very beginning. I said, you are not here to be yes men. You are not here to nod your heads and say, great point, John. You're here to challenge me. And, on, and, and, and the way it's worked out 
I'm constantly getting challenged in my own room. And I love that. I love the energy of it. I love the, I don't agree with your point of view, John. I don't agree with what you're saying. I Here's the contrary point to that. And I think that's where the best discussions come from and the best debates. And I have a real good time with that. Let, let's talk about the fanatic. Obviously, you look at what Angelo has accomplished at WIP. It's legendary. You can make a similar case for what Mike Missinelli did at the fanatic. I mean, he, his arrival oh. at the fanatic changed the game for the radio station for a long time in afternoon drive. So that departure leaves open, you know, first of all, his fan base. Are they going to stick with the new show with Tyrone Johnson, Hunter Brody, and Ricky Batalico? At the same time, you got to pull over people from the other side. What does the loss of Missinelli do for the way the Fanatic not only operates now, but going forward, trying to grow? Well, you don't lose Mike Missinelli and not have a bump in the road. I mean, you and, and Jace, you and I have talked so many times. The, I wouldn't have even considered the fanatic had I not known Mike, respected Mike, and liked what he had helped to build there. I mean, he he did a tremendous job over his career there. I'm a huge fan of Mike. He knows that. And I've stayed in touch with him since he's left the station. That said, I think what Ty and the gang in the afternoon are trying to build is incredibly, uh, again, it's different than Mike's show. It's not the old school Philly sports radio, big man in the chair, and now everybody react to what the big man has to say. Mike could pull that off. Honestly, not many of us could step into that type of situation today in 2022 and have the cachet of a Missinelli, of a Cataldi, to yep. be able to pull that off. And so I, I like what they're trying in the afternoon. I really like, too, the idea, too, getting Ricky Vitalico in that mix. And Hunter Brody, for a lot of the audience, a lot of the audience is like, I had friends of mine going, well, who's this Hunter Brody? And I said, well, you got to listen. But one thing I know is I know a lot of sports fans in Philly that knew Hunter because they were 25 and below. It was my nephews. They were on YouTube. They're listening on YouTube. They're, they're, they're watching his videos. They're watching that content that he creates. And they're creating this entirely. He's created an entirely different product that creates a real level of interest. And I love how it works. And they got Jen Scordo there to try to herd cats. And uh, I wish Jen all the luck in the world because those are three strong personalities. <laughs> I think they're going to have a great mix in the afternoon, though. So, so now, you know, and I'll tie this to Atlanta in a minute, but you've now seen radio life through the lens of Beasley Broadcasting after yes. experiencing it forever under Dickey Broadcasting with David Dickey. You're working for my good friend Joe Bell, who I love. What, what are, I guess, the biggest similarities and differences between what you're experiencing now in your radio career versus what you experienced for two decades in Atlanta. First of all, two decades with the Dickey family. And uh, though I constantly like to uh, say I don't like how my departure was handled in Atlanta, the way it went down, I have nothing but respect for what we accomplished there and what we were allowed to accomplish. Uh, before our show took off and before the station took off, there were a lot of money losses and things like that that the Dickies took on, and they faced that battle and they withstood it and they did a great job with it. Um, and 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 they had that perseverance. So I'll always respect them and always thank them for that. Uh, I know that's different though. I was very cautious, honestly, about joining another family company compared to joining something like I had worked at the network, my network show with ESPN and then CBS. So I knew sort of how the Odyssey family works. And I knew that. But that's a corporation. And that's a little bit different, the way they go about their business. Uh, it, it's been interesting. Joe Bell is, to me, 
now who I work for is I worked for a great guy in Atlanta named Jim Mahaney under the Dickies. And Jim Mahaney was one of those program directors that was very much along the lines of, you know, he, he was of the lines of, well, what can I do for you? What can I do to make you better? I work with Chuck D'Amico here in Philadelphia. And one of the things Chuck always tries to say to me is, what do you want to do? What, what are you looking to do? And what do you need from me? And I find that the best program directors aren't dictating. They're listening. They're adjusting. And I know that Chuck is a different program director to me than he is to Cuz, Anthony Gargano, or he is to the afternoon show. I can be very type A, sort of very demanding as far as here's what I'm trying to do. Here's what I'm trying to accomplish. And Chuck becomes more of a, uh, a tasking like, OK, I can handle that. I'll do that. But uh, working with Joe Bell, Joe is very much he's a he's a pragmatist. He's like, look, we got to get the sales operation of the show successful up and running. Make sure that sales backbone works very well. And when the sales backbone works very well, that tends to mean that then you put together a good product. And as long as the product you're putting together is well, we'll find a way to sell it. I've loved working with Joe. And it's just like one more difference of you know, one more differing voice that I've gotten to hear in the radio industry who has helped me learn things. So I've been really blessed over my career. I've had so many good people I've gotten to work with. Scott Masteller when I was at ESPN, uh, you know, I, I, you know, getting to work, you know, the last my last like year and a half at CBS Sports Radio with Mark Chernoff. Are you kidding me? I mean, like, like you're, you're I, I've gotten to pick the brains of some of the brightest minds in radio and I have stolen ideas from every single one of them and tried to make them my thoughts that, that, that understand how it works. And two, working over the years with, uh, you know, filling in for Mike Greenberg, filling in on the herd for five years for Colin. Yep. I've gotten to work with some of the best producing teams in the business, doing Dan Patrick's show and for him back at ESPN. Mm -hmm. I've gotten to work with some of the best people in the business and gotten to sit in some of the best chairs. If I didn't learn something, that's my fault. If I don't learn something, it's my fault from every one of them. Let me ask you about, you, you were mentioning before how, uh, you know, Joe would uh, emphasize the sales game. And I know you you did that incredibly well in Atlanta. You had a lot of oh. relationships. And even though people in the market may know John is from Philly, he's coming home to Philly, reaching that business community is different when you're in there versus not being in there. So what are some ways that as a new talent going into a new market, I'm sure there's someone listening to this who's going to go through that same situation. How have you embraced the business community and made it a point to make sure there's money on your show? What do you do to ultimately help Jill and Chuck make this thing not just a success on the air from a programming standpoint, but a success from a business standpoint? Well, you got to make your show sales friendly. You have to come with a bunch of components. Before I was ever even on the air at The Fanatic, we had five or six different segments of our show, which could end up be sold programming elements that we knew we could sell. I treated our show to begin like a NASCAR. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to be able to get in a small advertiser that we could grow, get in bigger advertisers for bigger roles, work with sales, work directly with Paul Blake and Jamie Frankel, our sales executive team, and be able to come up with ideas to say, yes, we can do this. We can be flexible. I always tell them, you bring me the client who potentially is interested in my show, I'll find the programming element that we can tie to their patronage. And we've taken some clients and we've grown them, which is great. We've taken small clients to bigger clients. We've taken small clients into endorsement clients. And that's one thing I, I think a lot of people in our industry don't get. 
they don't understand. I, I listen to live reads on the air of, of, of personalities and I hear them reading scripts. I, it breaks my heart. I, I, I put the time in every week to make sure that no two live reads sound alike, that I know all the content that my clients are trying to get across on the table and that I've put the time in off of the air to understand, craft this message, make it my own. Because what happens is you end up becoming a successful endorser. Yeah, that's like an annuity. And it's not only an annuity for you personally and your paycheck every other week, but it's an annuity for your show. It sustains your show. It keeps your show outrunning the bear of negative net income. You want to make sure yeah. that you're constantly building it. Because honestly, Jason, I mean, it's the truth. If, you're, if your show is generating a significant income for the station, I tend to see that management tends to walk by and go, how you doing? How was the Eagles game this weekend? Wasn't it fun? <laughs> They're not calling in for a meeting going, what do we need to do? They're not even worried when you lose a meter. They'll go, yeah, we'd like the meter back. But you know what? We do like that seven-figure income you're bringing to the air. Keep doing that. We'll live without the meter. Could you keep doing what you're doing? We really appreciate it, you can. I find that. So last thing, I know it was big for you to get back into the teaching world. Uh, You got, uh, got involved with Temple finally, right? Yes, I'm excited. I'm going to become Professor... Kincaid. I don't know if adjunct professors call themselves that, but I'm going to be an adjunct professor. Now, are you going to do like a 48-minute monologue at the students, or are you actually going to ask them questions? Oh, no. Every day is going to be about create. Every day from the time you enter my class to leave my class, it's going to be about you producing content during that short time frame that you'll be graded on. How about that? It's not going to be. It's not going to be where you're writing a paper that you take back to your dorm and you've got two weeks to do. We're going to be given a task at the beginning of class. We're going to work. We're going to work with it all as a group, and it is going to be a production. What can you produce? What did you produce during the uh, course of that day's class? And then you're going to be great on it. We're going to work on blogs. We're going to work on how to blog. We're going to look how to make short videos, promotional videos. We're going to work on commercial live reads and how to make them your own. So I'm going to try to do it like sort of like the business of sports radio and uh, produce it and talk it. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to start in the spring of 2023. So coming up in January, Professor Kincaid hits the uh, hits the airwaves. I can't so wait. I'm going to ask you one last thing on that note. What do you tell a young person who's looking to get in the business, sees sports betting rising like it is, and we're not even halfway to where this thing is going to be? Like right. from a content standpoint, you know, it's easy to sit and look at what it is now, but if you go back to what it was in 2015, it's night and day. And that's not what it's going to be in 2027 or 2032. So what do you tell them as far as making sure, because not everybody wants to talk about gambling, not everybody bets on games, but it's a growing phenomenon that people have a lot of interest in. So how do you how do you make sure that the youth of tomorrow who are going to be on these airwaves are prepared to capitalize in a space that's going to be pretty important. That's one of the things that we try to do on our shows. We try to incorporate gambling content without making it a gambling show. Because honestly, I don't know what kind of expertise I had to do a gambling show. And I, I, I wonder with half of the gambling shows that are popping up on the internet, what are the credentials of the person who's actually doing them? Uh, to me, it's about creating an atmosphere where maybe you bring on a strategic guest. Uh, we all have partnerships. Everyone on my show is associated with a different sports book, which is just crazy. But in Philadelphia, they love their gambling. Everybody's yeah. loving it. So what we try to do is we try to try to create content 
where maybe somebody is making their three-team parlay of the weekend as a feature one day. We'll do another one where we're looking ahead at the lines, where we're, we're looking ahead towards the weekend lines, and where's the vulnerability? Where are the uh, underdogs that you might get into? I think what you do is you create content around gambling more than making gambling the content. And I think that's the key. Look, if you want to go and just, you know, da- on, a, on a Sunday morning, watch one of those NFL pre-gambling shows, that'd be great content. That's awesome. On a Monday through Friday basis, you're dealing with a minuscule sized audience that wants to sit and get consumed all with gambling information for that length of time. Listen, man, I'm glad things are going great in Philly. You, you, you know, when you went through what you went through with Atlanta during the pandemic and they had to downsize, uh, obviously tough, but I think what Angelo told you was spot on, you know, just sit back, relax, they'll come. And then obviously it's about finding the right fit. You found it with the fanatic. You're doing great morning drive. And uh, if Angelo decides uh, that he is going to go through with retirement, which is what everyone expects, he be- he, he, he better is what I'm going to say right now. He better there are <laughs> listen there are- until the day comes when I put on WIP in the morning and he's not there. I'm not buying it for a second. Uh, now I'm I not believe buying it. I'm not buying it either. There, you, right you know, until I- he's not there, like you know, I I don't forget that. Francesa retired. He came back three months later. So you know, and that's what I and that's what I wonder with Angelo is is honestly is the is he's such I, I don't know what he's going to do with himself. I, I and 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 I've wondered what will he do with himself. But I know this: he deserves some rest. He deserves some time off. And I would be glad to see him having it. That's all. I'm I'm, I'm looking out for his best interests. So and maybe a world cruise. Maybe a world cruise where he couldn't do a podcast that terrorizes all the other hosts trying to make a living in Philadelphia. Maybe you could just go on a world cruise without the internet. Thank you for listening to the Jason Barrett Podcast. Please take a moment to subscribe to this show on iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, Amazon, YouTube, or wherever you consume podcasts. And to stay in touch with Jason, follow him on Twitter at SportsRadioPD or read his columns on BarrettSportsMedia.com.